you have your Bibles, want to follow along, we'll be in Titus 2 here in a little bit as we continue on our Christian Hope series. The uh, hoping to get, <laughs> no pun intended, uh, a good definition of that. You know, what is hope? You know, we've looked at this for four weeks. It's the full assurance, it's not uncertain desire when you're looking at the word in, in the Christian Bible and in the inspired word. It's assurance in God's promises that what he has promised he will keep. Uh, so the promises we've looked at, eternal life through Christ, his presence with us, protection from evil, those important things that we pray about and uh, put our trust in that, that God will give those to us now and forever. So it's supposed to be something that all followers have, this Christian hope, a certain certain or full assurance of what God has promised. And First Peter 3.15 has always kind of been our quintessential verse for this series. You must worship Christ as Lord of your life. Uh, and if someone asks you about the hope you have as a believer, always be ready to explain it. So that's, by golly, after six weeks, you should be able to do it, right, when we're done with this. Uh, I think the main thing, obviously one of the main, is to remember that this is certain, not just wishing. Uh, so it's not uncertain desire, it is confident expectation. We expect it to happen. Uh, and the reasons we've given so far of why we have the hope is because of God's grace, which we see in the cross. The gospel, which talks about how the good news comes after repentance, you get acquitted and are able to have a connection with God the Father through the Son. Um, the resurrection of Jesus, which vindicates his other uh, works, including the cross, and gives new birth through the Spirit after uh, Jesus ascends. And then the scriptures we talked about last week from Romans, the scriptures that are written for us, you know, and that's kind of cool. You always wondered if, I don't know how many people here have had a book written for them, uh, but uh, this was written for you. Uh, so that's what we've looked at thus far. Now we're going to look more specifically these next uh, three messages. Uh, we're trying to answer that question of what is it that we can hope for? We kind of get that already, but uh, the thing we're going to look at today comes from Titus 2. So if you want to follow along, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself, a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. So specifically, we're going to look at, this is called the blessed hope. So it's not just hope, it's blessed hope. So this is double dose of hope, I guess. Uh, it's the idea of the second coming of Jesus. Uh, this is something that we talked about a little bit before the communion, it's talked about in 1 Corinthians, it's certainly talked about a lot in 1 Corinthians, it's obviously talked about in the book of Revelation, it's talked about in the Gospels, and here we have it in Titus. Uh, this is a fundamental New Testament teaching that Jesus will come back again. Uh, it's something that Jesus said he would do, uh, you get this at the end of some of the Gospels, you certainly get it at the beginning of the book of Acts. Uh, but there are people who disbelieve this, I mean, of course, atheists do. Uh, atheists believe, I guess, if they're consistent that the earth will simply end in heat death. Uh, so, 
that's the way, I, I know that's not all that hopeful, but that's the way it ends, you know, we just, eventually it's all going to end. I think it's still going to be 8 to 10 billion years, so I think most of us will be dead by then, so if, if, if that's true, but that's obviously not what we proclaim, um, but that you're going to get. You're going to get people who don't believe that, obviously, if they don't believe in Jesus coming the first time, and for the reasons he did, they probably aren't going to believe he's going to come the second time. But uh, professing Christians, including many scholars, now say the second coming of Christ is not a, a historical event that we hope for, or that it's a merely mythical idea, and that's out there, that's been there around, uh, prevalent in the last century, uh, where Jesus is going to come back in some spiritual way, um, and some even teach that he's already come back. And I'm like, I'm not trying to be a flippant here, but if he's already come back, I am greatly disappointed. Because um, it's not quite what he promised, it doesn't look like. Uh, and we'll look into why this is important, uh, believing this. Uh, because you know, this problem with what they're saying, it's not merely that it contradicts dozens of biblical texts. I'm, you've got text after text, I mean, almost the whole book of First Thessalonians at least the second half of it is about the second coming, about the assurance of that, and a little bit what happens. The, uh, but it actually attacks Christ and attacks Christianity at its very center. This is important. Uh, now, this would be a rabbit trail, and you all know I never do the rabbit trails in sermons. So, uh, you know, we could enter into some controversies over the timing of this event, uh, talking about millenniums uh, from Revelation 20, uh, tribulations from other parts of Revelation, and, and some in the Olivet Discourse that's recorded in three of the Gospels. Um, but, you know, that should be an in-house debate. There are different debates, and, and we do look into those deeply in Bible studies. And I've always said, if you want to, if you're on Facebook, or if you're just bored, um, and you want to get in a good argument with somebody, about something, talk about either how the world was created or how it's going to end, and there's going to be an opinion, uh, and you can uh, just wait to see what they believe, and just, just, you know, disagree with them, you know, and see how that goes. It's a, it makes for a fun day, uh, and, and nice arguments. Uh, we look at that. There's, that's out there, right? Uh, we've got the idea of sequence is there. Uh, what do these texts mean as far as when Jesus talks about coming? And then timing. Timing is out there. Uh, now, the sequence thing you can get into some. You know, you probably, you may not know, you study this enough, you get, there's kind of four main views, and I'm not going to get into, you know, which one that I believe, but, it, you know, there's, there's the historical premillennial view that believes that a lot of Revelation kind of talks about different history, historical things ending in the second coming of Jesus. You've, you've kind of got an all-millennial view, which doesn't really see the millennium as, you know, specifically a thousand years. That's more metaphoric, and that we're kind of in the church age now, and we're still waiting for the second coming. Uh, you've got a post-millennial view, which means the millennium kind of talks about bad times, but eventually because Jesus told us that we would be able to you know, preach the gospel to all nations, that when that gets done, things will get better and better, and eventually Jesus will come back that way, but there's still a future second coming. And then there's a popular one today, which has a really cool name, dispensational premillennialism, that kind of breaks things up into different eras and has a, a, a little different view of how the tribulation works. They're all out there, but one thing is very key on all four of these. Everyone's looking for a future second coming. So that's why it's an in-house debate. Um, 
And I have gotten pretty good at pretty much poo-pooing any of them, which is not a good place to be. <laughs> you think you should land the plane somewhere, but they all have good things. Um, I remember my friend from uh, Louisiana, New Orleans, he said he was a pan-millennialist. Yeah, it'll all pan out in the end. You know, that's it. And that might not be a bad way, but I, I think we've got to be careful because there are controversies does not mean we can't try to figure out what does the text say. But when it comes to timing, I really don't think it's that hard. Not whether or not we should come up with it, but read this in Mark 13. Be careful of the timing. That was good timing. Because <laughs> where there's thunder, there's lightning. So, yeah, somebody's probably out there trying to tell you the time. Yeah. But this is Jesus in the upper room, uh, or excuse me, not the upper, in the uh, Olivet Discourse, uh, you know, pretty long. It's in Mark 13, it's also in Luke 21, Matthew 24. But concerning that day, he's talking about, it looks like his second coming, or that hour, no one knows. We could pretty much stop there, can't we? But it gave, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And we can get into the metaphysical idea there in the Bible study, but so not very many people know. <laughs> and so it seems like that this is something we probably shouldn't try to figure out. It's been throughout history. We had one back in, when was that, 2011. We went on a, our family went on a trip to Estes Park. And we were driving back and they had these, these vans that had, uh, Jesus is coming back. This is the date in 2011. It is assured the Bible teaches it. As we're driving by the van, that was two weeks ago. Uh-oh. And it's like, you don't know whether to, you know, pity them or what when you see that. Because it's just, I mean, I'm sure, I hope that the person who, you know, came up with this stuff was well-meaning. But go on, be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's just not that hard. In fact, I looked it up seven times in the New Testament the word thief is used for the second coming. A thief, you do not know when a thief comes. A thief, the word thief in the Bible is one who comes at night and takes stuff and it doesn't beat you up, it just takes your stuff. So you don't know when he's coming. <laughs> There's another word for thief that, that for doing that that's a robber that has more about beating you up. Those are the guys that took care of that guy, that, that, you know, the, the good Samaritan helped. So Jesus says you're not going to know. The metaphor is you're not going to know. And so obviously we should try to figure it out doesn't really make any sense, does it? So we're not going to talk a lot about that. That's not really the big deal. I guess this is what I will tell you. I think I'm very sure of this. If somebody tells you they know, then I would run the other way. Because it just seems like that's not the point. Uh, be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. I suppose maybe it w if when he comes, just be ready. I think that's what the whole idea is. So what is the center of Christianity? Well, the coming of Jesus, the Son of God, into the world as a real man to destroy the works of the devil and create a new people for his own glory. That's kind of a summary of what he's doing. That's more important than timing, right? Um, so when we look at this, what does Jesus of Nazareth do? Well, he, he obeyed the law of God. He, was, he didn't ever sin. He died for the sins of the people. We've been talking about that a lot today. Uh, he rose victorious over death. He ascended to God's right hand with all his enemies under his feet. Most people are like, yep, I'm good with this. I like this. You just have those that are really struggling with 
the second coming. But the second coming of Christ is the completion of his saving work. You know, if he said he was going to die and said he was going to rise and said he was going to ascend and said he was coming back again and he only does the first three, don't we have a problem? Do you want to believe in a Savior that's 75% right? If you take it away, all the rest kind of comes into question. The trust kind of starts to go away. Well, think about it. You've got a physical incarnation of the Son of God. That's the Christmas stuff, you know, of the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. A physical death. He died on the cross. And it is finished. Gave up the breath into your hands. I commit my spirit. A physical ascension that they saw. And then that's it? He's never going to come back? He's gone and he's not coming back? I mean, that doesn't fit the scripture. It really doesn't make all that much sense. I'll see you later. I hope it goes well. You know, it, it, we just have to be, it doesn't make sense with what's going here. So it's something we hope for. So this denial of a real second coming, it leads to the denial of a real physical incarnation and a real physical resurrection. And you can see this in cultic practices that take this away. There's one of they probably knocked on your door. Now they're sending letters, uh, uh, cult uh, Christian that believes he already came back. I think it was right around World War I. Um, it was something, it was a spiritual sort of second coming. Um, it just doesn't fit scripture. It's the problem. Um, so the world is his and he's going to come back to claim it. That's essentially what the Bible teaches. He brought it in, and he's going to take care of it. We'll look at how he does that at the very end here. Uh, so this gives us true Christian hope, doesn't it? Um, along with vindicating everything else he did, because if, if he, this doesn't going to happen, then we've got problems. Um, this, is, this is a rabbit trail, but I'll put it out there anyway, and we're not going to go down it. But do you think you'll know? I mean, if somebody comes and says to you, he's back. You're like, ah, what do you know? Read the text. It seems like you're going to know. I don't think it'll be a problem. Uh, I don't think, I would probably never teach a class on how to know when Jesus has come back. If we don't know, none of it probably matters. I think it's, you know, there's a trumpet and a twinkling of an eye. And, you know, I look around here and there's younger ones and there's older ones. But if you're older, you want to go through life in the body you have right now? Eternal life? I don't. Something different. You can read 1 Corinthians 15, which we'll hit a little bit next week. Something different happens. But this, I think we'll know. And these, there's two comings of the Messiah, and that's a little hard to get. The really only place in the Old Testament that really kind of talks about it, if you read it that way, is Isaiah, which kind of talks about some things that looks like this suffering servant's going to do in chapters kind of 49 through 54. And then you get to like 59, 60, 61, then it looks like something else is going on, and he talks about new heavens and new earth, and, and you could kind of see that, but I don't think everybody understood it completely. It's not that it wasn't there. It just wasn't maybe as overt as people would like. But Titus here is talking about the two comings. Um, you've got appearance of grace, and you have the appearance of glory. Well, what's the difference? You know, the appearance of grace. We see this in John 3. This is a text we know, right? John three sixteen through 18. You have 17, I have it marked there, 
God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. That's grace. That's the first coming. He didn't come and say, you're all done, wiping you all out, flood number two. That comes later. And it's talked about in 16 and 18 in two different ways. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now, that implies something about those who don't believe. There's that dreaded perish word in there. And you get it in verse 18. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. So the second coming in glory is for judgment. So you've got the coming of grace. So it's a two-coming thing. And why did he do it that way? I don't know. But he did it that way. And that's the way he wanted to do it. I think because he's gracious. I think we should all be happy that he did it that way. So there's both a looking back with gratitude to the grace and looking forward with the hope to the glory of God that will appear at the second coming when he completes our redemption. Because, I mean, we have good times, right? I mean, we might go eat somewhere today and it'll probably be good. Uh, I'll probably pick it because that's what pastors do. But, you, you know, th th you do get pinpricks of that. You, know, you probably maybe had some this week, you know, time with family, I don't know, something that just touched your heart. Maybe in reading your devotions in the morning or praying. It's not like it's all bad, not all. It's good. There are good parts of our life, but there are also parts that we'd rather not deal with. Well, that's what we're waiting for, that all the good is there and all the bad is gone. We're protected from evil now. Evil goes away after the second coming. And you see this Hebrews 9 says, and just as each person is destined to die once, how many times? Once, except for those few that he rose again. Uh, but, and after that comes the judgment. That's a good verse to remember. It's implied everywhere. I know it's out there, uh, this kind of after death second chance theology, the idea that, you know, well, when we die, we'll get another shot. It's like, you know, maybe you will. I just don't see it in the Bible anywhere. I wouldn't put my, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put my trust in that. Um, you look at everything taught in the Bible. It's believe now. Jesus didn't say, well, believe eventually. Or listen to me for a while, but you'll get another chance. Don't worry about it so much. You know, it's kind of different, isn't it? So you die once and then the judgment. You know, that's, you're either going to be judged when he comes back, if you're here when he does, or you're going to be judged when you die. Most people got right? 111 people, billion people have lived on earth. Did you know that? Almost eight right now. So that, if you could do the math, 111 yeah, minus eight, what do you come up with? You know? Anybody? 103-ish. So 103 billion people have died and were judged. Only those left will get judgment at that time. This is what this verse kind of says. So also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again not to deal with our sins. That's the first coming. But to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. So it's kind of like, when's he coming? I always wonder, I mean, and this, you've got to be very careful, but what the heck. Let's say he comes Thursday. Boy, wouldn't it be weird if he did? It's not like I can bet on it or anything, so it doesn't really matter, I guess. Because we're having our, isn't Thursday, we have like a big meal? Is it? Do we have classes at VBS? I can't remember. But uh, 
that's our last VBS day. I thought if he's going to come, let's do it then. Uh, if he comes, are we ready? That's the thing. But if you knew he was coming on Thursday, what would you do today? You got Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. I'm, first thing I'm doing this afternoon is I'm going to up my credit card limit. Because <laughs> I got a 25-day grace on that sucker. And he's coming back, so gone, jubilee. You know, I mean, wouldn't we act differently? You might even, you get that a little bit, eat, drink, and be merry. You know, let's get this all this sin done. And then, of course, he's not coming until Thursday, so Thursday morning we'll all gather in here. We'll all say, sorry for that last four days, and then he can come, and we're all forgiven. Maybe that's why he doesn't tell us. I don't know. <laughs> but are we ready? Yeah. You probably, you know, it's just as sobering, you know, Anything you do, what if he showed up then? <laughs> and then, of course, you step back and think, you know what, he kind of already knows. <laughs> it's not like, oh, he's not looking right now. Yeah, so probably don't have to look at it that way. But the saving work of Christ began with his first coming when he bore our sin in his body on the cross and will be completed at his second coming when he saves us from the final wrath of God and gives us rest in his kingdom. You can see how that works a little bit in the end of Revelation 20. So you strip away the second coming, and salvation's kind of torn in half. You need both. It's not completely consummated when it comes to the kingdom. And they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. The day of the Lord is the way the prophets put it. You see this in Romans 5, and since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So this future glory, it's over and over again. So Titus talks about the second coming as a key aspect of Christian hope, something we can be certain of. It's blessed, it's visible, it's glorious. It's not going to be like, well, he came, <laughs> You had to wait for the news to tell you. And John gives a glimpse of Christ's glory and what, it, it, what Jesus looks like because, you know, he was obviously cloaked some ways and as, as a man. You get this at the beginning of Revelation. And standing in the middle of the lampstand was someone like the Son of Man, which is the exact same wording as you get in Daniel. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. That's not usually the picture I have of Jesus. But this is the glorious Jesus. And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered, man, bad timing, mighty, like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand and a sharp two-edged sword came out of his mouth. And his face was like the sun in its, all its brilliance. So this is a picture of the, of the glory, deity of Jesus and who he really is. It's kind of a cool picture if you want. I was, if you ever find a picture like this, if it's not too expensive, buy it. I'd like one. This, this would be cool to put on your wall, wouldn't it? Especially good for your kids if they're messing up. Like, look at Jesus. <laughs> I mean, that one where he's holding the kid, I mean, who's going to be afraid of that? But he's both, isn't he? He's, he's both. He's the one that... Again, he's the loving brother, the loving one that brings us in if we're following him. And he is the judge if he's not. And then we get this picture of glory. So we should be confident that Jesus is going to come again in his glory. 
to finish what he started. You know, the kingdom at heaven, of heaven is at hand, he said. He's going to do away with evil forever. I look around and I don't think that's been done yet. To change everything for our benefit. And I want to end with this revelation. It's kind of, you, you, people stay away from revelation a lot. And, and because it is kind of hard. But we've, we've gone through it. We'll probably do it again. Um, I think it's a very good book to read over and over. I don't know if you've ever done this. And this is not an assignment, but you do get extra points if you do it. The uh, Go home, maybe not now, sometime, read the book of Revelation from cover to cover. You know, it's 21 chapters, 22 chapters, excuse me. Not hard, not hard reading. Maybe if you get a, like an NLT, a little bit easier reading. And look for one thing as you read through it. What does Jesus look like here? How does it inform you who he is? Because I think you can make a case that it's got the most complete text about the glory of Christ in all of the Bible. I think that may be why it's in there. We, we, we worry about what the seven trumpets mean and the seven bowls and the seven seals, and that's important, I guess. But isn't it better to know who Jesus is? We just got a little glimpse. That's just in chapter 1. Just read and you write it down. Jesus looks like this. You know, and don't worry about timing. Just worry about him. I think that would be helpful. So look at this. This is after the great white throne judgment when the Satan and his angels and those who do not believe are thrown into the bottomless pit. Then John sees, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. The sea means chaos in Hebrew poetry. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the father, the, the faithless, the detestable, for the murderers, the sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So you get this idea, a new heaven and a new earth. And heaven and earth become the same place. Because what is heaven but where God dwells and God dwells with his people? That's what we get. That's what we have to look forward to. And this is such a majestic picture of what we can because of what Jesus did and he sees us as part of the family. Now this is pretty cool, isn't it? This is good hope. This is not pie in the sky. I always say it. People say, well, it's pie in the sky theology. And they say it that way. It's pie in the sky theology. Well, either there's a pie or there isn't. I, and Jesus says there's a pie. And I think that's what we have to focus on. This is a hope. This is certain expectation. So let us, like the Apostle Paul, do what he said. Look at the way he puts this. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. 
And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. And that's what we do. We want to look forward to this. Be ready by being the person that he wants you to be, by following what he wants, but mainly by recognizing what the cross does for you and makes you blameless in his sight. Let us pray. Father, such great words from Revelation. Uh, forgive us for not looking at that book as much as we should. It tells us so much about your son that we, we worry about the, the minors and forget the major thing about who Jesus is and how it helps us. Thank you for giving us that. May we have a desire to know you better through it. May each one of us have that sure and certain hope that you will come back again and we will be part of your kingdom forever and ever for eternity with you. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.